God called him into service, and when he got the call, he went, and his nephew came along for the ride. This man was a good, godly man. He was a rancher. And as a rancher, he would become, well, a very successful businessman. And he would, as a godly man, share his wealth with his family. He'd share his business with his family. And his nephew was a recipient of that success. Pretty soon, the nephew got pretty successful. He was very talented and gifted. Yet the problem was is that his nephew and his uncle would be competing against one another. So his uncle said, listen, here's the deal, man. I, I love you. I, I want to bless you. Let's go to this, this area. I'm going to show you this area. I want you to make the choice. You make the choice of the land you want, and then I'll take the leftovers. If that story sounds familiar, it's out of Genesis 12. The man is Abraham. His nephew is Lot. And Lot makes a decision. He makes a choice, a choice that would have a ripple effect not only into his family, but into his ancestors and the nation of Israel for generations upon generations. He chooses a region called Sodom, you know, of Sodom and Gomorrah fame. It's kind of like what we look at now as the, the Las Vegas of the Middle East. Anything goes in Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't know why he chose Sodom. Maybe it was the cultural edginess of, the, of that area uh, th that reminded him of the place he came from, a land called Ur. We don't know, but that one choice train wrecked his family. His wife would die on a, a God-led rescue mission, and she would be no more. His daughters were engaged to a couple guys in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they said, no, you go on your, your way. We're staying here. They would die, and his daughters, in all of their zealousness to have children, would get their dad drunk on separate nights, have sex with him. One would have a son named Moab. He would be the leader of the Moabite nation. The other would be Ben-Ami. He would be leader of the Ammonites. They would be thorns in the flesh of Israel for generations, all because of one choice. Now, we look at that and we compare that to another man. Fast forward to the 1700s. There's a great theologian and pastor. His name was Jonathan Edwards. At an early age, he received Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And he said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead my life, no matter how difficult it is, I'm going to lead it in a way that would honor Jesus. He married a, a gal who agreed with the same principles, and they ended up raising their family with those principles, the principles to do the tough right thing. Well, their family tree is legendary. Just listen to this. 300 of his ancestors became clergy, missionaries, and theological professors. More than 100 became attorneys. 30 of them judges, 60 doctors, 60 authors, 14 were presidents of universities. Three became U.S. congressmen, and one became the vice president of the United States. What's my point? Same God, same grace, multiple options, different choices. One chose well consistently, one did not. And it begs a question. Have you ever considered that the choices we make in life can have a ripple effect, not only into the lives of those around us, but I would argue into eternity? Such is what we're going to talk about today. If you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. While the events in life may shape us, our choices define us. 
Let me say that again. While the events in life may shape us, our choices define us. Events can happen in our lives, and those events can cause us to process things a certain way. They can cause us to to have character flaws or character strengths. But in the end, it's the choices that we make that really matter. God's got a lot to say about that as we wrap up this amazing series on Joshua called Strong and Courageous. We're doing a character study on Joshua, and you talk about a guy who had events in his life shape him. He started out as a slave in Egypt, and then God places him as an apprentice to Moses. Then he would become a general in God's army. He would become a prophet and lead people into the promised land. He'd be a man of character, honor, integrity, and faith. And at the end of the day... He's an old man, 110 years old. So he wants to impart his wisdom to the people. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 24. Turn there. Let me set the scene for what's going on. You go back 2,000 years ago, the most important event in history. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. He's buried. He's resurrected. Rewind the tape even further. 1,500 years. Our story takes place about 1,500 years before Jesus The Israelites have taken over most of the promised land. Uh, For about 50 years or so, Joshua has led him. He's 110 years old and he's tired. Now remember, Moses died at the age of 120. He was spry as a spring chicken. Not our man, Joshua. He's a tired old soldier. And just like the words of Douglas MacArthur, MacArthur, who said, old soldiers don't die, they just fade away. He's going to fade away, but he's going to give some encouragement and a challenge to his people. Pastor Brian covered in in Joshua 23 a few weeks ago the preamble of his address. But he's going to challenge them, and he's going to command them and give them a warning. So with that, Joshua chapter 24, remember our main thought. While the events in life may shape us, our choices define us. By the way, two theologians who I leaned into uh, for today's teaching, uh, one of my heroes, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, uh, he's trained me so much as a pastor, and and then Warren Wiersbe, who's just a phenomenal theologian. Right, so here we go. Joshua 24, verse 1. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Right. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, Shechem, that's an important place, and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Okay, so before we go any further, we got to remember that places mean, that the names of places mean a lot in the Old Testament, and this place takes no exception to that. Shechem's very important. First of all, it's, the place it is geographically is important. It sits in a valley, and you got two mountains on either side, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And so what you would have is you would have a natural amphitheater. So Joshua could bring all the people back, put six tribes on one side, six tribes on another, and they would have no problem hearing this tired old soldier speak. We don't know if he brought all the people back or they were representatives. That doesn't matter. But he brought them back to Shechem. But there's more to to Shechem than that. Remember last week, Pastor Bob talked about Shechem. It, It was one of the six cities of refuge. In Hebrew, the name means shoulder, that God would shoulder the burdens of the Jewish people. But there's even more than that. Shechem was the first place that Abraham actually, God appeared to Abraham and and promised Abraham all of the, the promised land 500 years earlier. Shechem's where Jacob planted his tent for the first time. 
It was a place in Joshua 8 where the people decided to make a covenant with God. Pastor uh, Bob covered that several weeks ago. We're going to touch a little bit on the covenant here in a few minutes. Shechem was an important place, but I don't think we truly understand the importance. One commentator said, for us Americans to truly get it, if you would put Independence Hall, Lexington, Yorktown, and Plymouth Rock all on one place, it would pale in comparison in importance to what it meant to the Jewish people. So Joshua brings them there together. And he's going to give them a charge. He's going to speak to them. Now, he's a general and he speaks very direct. And as a good speaker, he sets up the scene with them for what's happening. It's just kind of like Abraham Lincoln when he gave the Gettysburg Address four score and seven years ago. He's going to walk through what God has done in four main acts in this passage. Let's keep on going. Verses two through five. We're going to hit act one. Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Okay. 15 times in the book of Joshua, 15 times. He, this is the title of God, so it's important. From ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river. That river is not the Jordan River. It's the Euphrates River. It's an outward boundary for the promised land. Now he's going to talk about the fathers. He said, namely, Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all of the land of Canaan. I multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave him Jacob and Esau. To Esau, I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst. And afterwards, I brought you out. To the Jewish people, even up to Jesus' time, there were two main events that shaped them. The first event was out of God's grace, and it was God's, uh, uh, the exodus from Egypt. The second, though, was God's judgment, and it's the exile. Several hundred years later, where they would follow little G gods, and God's, he'd give them warning after warning, finally said, enough. But let's talk about the first one, because the, the first act is all about God's grace. God's grace, that it was by God's love and his grace that he chose these people and he led them out of Egypt. God's grace. Think about that. Abraham did not choose God. God chose Abraham. Through Abraham, God would choose Israel to be a light in the darkness. From that line would come Jesus, his earthly lineage. God chose Abraham. Abraham didn't choose God, and it's the same for you and me, that God reaches out to us over and over. He sends out his Holy Spirit over and over because he wants to draw us in. And then finally we go, okay, this makes too much sense. Jesus, I want you in my life. That's important for you and me. If you're here today, if you're attending online and you don't know Jesus, and maybe you were dragged here, uh, uh, you didn't really want to be here, but you came, or maybe it's like, no, I need to be at church. I'm curious. The word says that if you seek God, you'll find him. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you in. God loves you. He wants you to be part of his family through Jesus. It's his grace that we're saved by faith. Otherwise, we could boast. Okay, so that's act one, God's grace. Let's keep on going, verses six and seven. He says, I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. Okay, we're familiar with that. Now he's going to get into the crux of the Exodus. But when they cried out to the Lord, 
He put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. God, through Joshua, is reminding them who's God and who's not. He leads them out of Egypt. So act one's God's grace. Next is God's leadership. God's leadership. And here's what's interesting. In that time, after the Exodus, if you wanted to say, I, I'm a follower of God, that, I, that Yahweh is my God, first of all, you need to believe two things. Thing one is that, that Yahweh is God, that there's no other God, that you'd follow no other little g gods. They would get up in the morning, the, the Jewish people, and they say the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Adamai Elohimu, Adamai Chot. That means the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. Second thing is that they would, would believe in their hearts that God took them out of bondage and delivered them, that God was the deliverer. Now, the Mosaic law was important, but that's not what saved them. That just showed their loyalty and love to God. Why is that important to you and me? I'm glad you asked. Because just as the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, so we too are in slavery to sin. You know, the Apostle Paul would say, no one righteous. There's no one righteous, not even one. Because we live in a fallen world, no one's born innocent. Now, I've got three grandkids. I talk about them a lot. You guys have seen me here running around with them a lot. Two of them are age two. One of them is age four. And the first words out of their mouth wasn't like daddy or mama. I think it was mine, mine. Because there's this selfish desire that we all have. They're raised in a great environment with great parents. But at the end of the day, it's our selfish desires. And Jesus comes in and says, no, I'm releasing you from that bondage. It's the beauty and love of Jesus. It's by his grace that we're saved through faith. So we got God's grace. And then through his Holy Spirit, we get to experience Jesus. Okay, let's keep on going. So look at Act 3, verses 8 through 10. Then I, God, brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. Okay, now he's going to tell a story out of Numbers chapters 22 through 24. Read it on your own. It's kind of a weird story, but it's kind of a fun one too. And he says, then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, remember the Moabites, they came from that incestuous relationship between uh, Lot and his daughter, total reality TV. The king of Moab arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. Okay, so Balaam was a sorcerer. Look what happened, though. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam, so he had to bless you, and I delivered you from his land, or his hand. It was God's victory. What's so cool about it is that God, through his grace, would choose them, he would lead them, and then he would give them victory. All he wanted them to do was to be obedient. That was it. Look at Jericho. They marched around Jericho a bunch of times. Crazy plan. They needed to be obedient. They would take over the promised land thanks to God and his victory. And when I was putting this together, I started thinking how the Israelites didn't see a lot of the calamity that God prevented as he fought the principalities of darkness, because there's a, a scene in an unseen seen realm here. And I think we're the same. Have you ever considered the calamity in your life that hasn't happened because God had done something or sent someone to protect you? 
I mean, it's crazy. I hope when, when we get on the other side of eternity, God peels back that curtain said, and says, listen, look at all the things that I kept from happening to you. Look at all the dragons I slayed. I mean, it's dragons. We talk about slaying dragons and stuff. We talk about God slaying dragons, that this unseen realm and a, a seen realm, non-believers say, you guys are crazy. This is the stuff fairy tales are made of, is it? G.K. Chesterton, he once said these words. He said, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Look at this. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. Most of us are aware of those dragons that are around the corner, the proverbial dragons, but there are a lot of them that we don't even know exist, but yet God's fighting for us. Dragons that a lot of times we bring on because of our choices, but a lot of times it's just the events, the events that happen. We have nothing to do with it. We're innocent victims. But here's the thing. God slays the dragons, addictions, economic woes, illnesses, relationship issues, all of these things are dragging and God's like, no, through my Holy Spirit, I've, through Jesus going to the cross, I've defeated these dragons. I just want you to, to, to take that courage and I want you to lean into me and the Holy Spirit and we slay the dragons together. If you're fighting a dragon today, no matter what that may be, understand this, that God is not only fighting for you, he has slayed that dragon and you'll see that victory either on this side of eternity or the next, amen? awesome. It's not fairy tales. This is what God does. Such a good God. Let's look at Act 4, verses 11 through 13. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you. Now he's going to talk about a seven-nation confederacy that they had to fight. And the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove away the two kings of the Amorites from before you. Okay, we don't know if this is some form of like special tracker jacker hornet, like from the Hunger Games, some super duper hornet, or if it's an allegory, or just swarms of hornets. We don't know. But no matter what, it was God at work. And he said, to remind them that it's God at work. He says, but not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land. I provided for you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built. And you have lived in them. You're eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. God provided. That's act four. Act four is God's provision. So let's reca recap where we've been. Let's go interactive here. It's okay. You'll be able to sound it out. Here we go. Act one is God's what? God's grace. Good. Act two, God's leadership. Yeah. Act three, God's victory. Yeah. And act four, God's provision. It was true for the Israelites several thousand years ago. And guys, it's true for us to this day. What I love about Thanksgiving weekend is football. You guys know I'm a football freak. It's been a great weekend for you Wazoo fans. I'm sorry. It was tough. I was with you till the third quarter. But here's the thing. Thanksgiving weekend's a great weekend to take time to be grateful to God. We praise him for who he is. We thank him for what he does. Maybe today would be a great day to carve out just a little bit of time 
and just sit there and look at these four acts where God has moved in your life. Because I guarantee you, right now, if you're in this room, you're attending online and you're breathing, he's done all four of those things. Ask him to show you those things. Praise him and thank him. Okay, let's get back to Joshua. 17 times, 17 times in this passage, God says, I did fill in the blank for you. What's God up through, up to through Joshua? God is setting up what's going to be a covenant. He's using covenant language. Now, Pastor Bob covered this in great detail a few weeks ago, but I want to just touch on this because the beauty about God, and he does it still to this day, he speaks to us in languages we understand. So I'm not talking like the Hebrew language or English. In the ancient Near East, he would speak to the people who would understand this whole idea of a covenant because you would have a king and the king's a very, very powerful king. And that king would have vassal nations underneath him. And those vassal nations, if they wanted to be blessed, they needed to be loyal. They needed to be obedient. And if they were, they would get blessings. But if they were disloyal, if they were disobedient, they would have curses come down upon them. It wouldn't mean that they wouldn't go through tough things, but the bottom line is that's the way a covenant would work. So what Joshua is doing, he's, sh he's showing everything that God has done. And remember, they have the Mosaic covenant. They've had the Abrahamic covenant. They know of the Noah covenant. They know all of these covenants. So now he set this up, and what he's going to do now is he's going to give them some commands, a warning, and then give them what I call the Joshua choice. Let's look at this. Verse 14. First, the commands. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Circle that. Fear. Fear the Lord. And serve him. Circle that. Serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away. Circle that. The gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt. And serve. Put an exclamation point there. Serve the Lord. What he does is he makes it very clear. Three commands. Three commands. He says to fear, to serve, to put away idols, and then because Hebrew doesn't have an exclamation point, you repeat the word, serve. Those are the three, thing he, three, three things he calls them to do. So let's talk about that briefly. First of all, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means to hold God in reverence. Here's what I love about the Trinity. We've, brief, we've, uh, we've shared a lot here about the, the Trinity. We've preached on that. But here's a good reminder of the Trinity. God the Father revealed by the Son the character of God revealed in Jesus, that we can touch and hold and approach God through Jesus. It's amazing. God the Father revealed by the Son, whom we get to experience through the Holy Spirit. Through Jesus, we, we have this God who's approachable, but we have to remember that He's God. We're not. Fear the Lord means to hold Him in reverence. And then he says to serve, to serve. That means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love each other as you want to be loved. There's something about serving others less fortunate that makes you move in your heart to not only reflect Jesus, but to grow in your relationship with Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in a second. So he wants us to serve him. And then he says, put away idols, put away idols. And idols is something that has a grip on your heart. You know, when something it becomes a main thing, and that main thing becomes the ultimate thing. It's an idol. 
I've had the pleasure of living all over the world, not only uh, visiting different countries, but living in first world, second world, and third world country. Thank you for your taxpayers' dollars, and thank you, Uncle Sam, for sending me around the world to do that. And the great thing about that that I've realized is that we Americans are really good about not really recognizing idols in our lives. Let me give you a few examples. Some of these are examples right out of my life. We can love our careers. We're wired to work, and that's a good thing. Uh, jobs can be a great thing. But when that is where we get our significance, it, it's an idol. And God's saying, no, I need you to release the grip. Re let the, release that grip it has on your heart. God brings amazing people in our lives, people who are created in the image of God, and he wants us to treat them with dignity. He, he wants us to live in community, but what can happen is we can, whether it's a loved one, a spouse, a dear friend, a leader, children or grandchildren, when they become the most important thing and take the place of Jesus, God's like, no, release that grip. Worship me. I created them for you and for me. Our finances can become idols, very simply. Uh, finances are great things. Money's not the root of all evil. You can do so many great things with money and bless so many people. It's the love of money that gets the grip. And God says, no, put those away. Put those away. And then for the exclamation point, serve. Serve. He wants commitment. He doesn't want us to just dabble with him. More on that in a minute too. Okay, so Joshua's given the command. Fear, serve, put away, and guess what? Serve. Now then what he's going to do is he's going to give us what I call the Joshua choice. Verse 15, one of the most powerful yet challenging portions of Scripture, verses of Scripture in all the Bible. The Joshua choice. Here we go. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Let me say that again. Choose for yourselves today whom you'll serve whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Okay, if you memorize anything from today's teaching, memorize this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The events in life will shape us, but our choices do what? Come on, define us. This is the Joshua choice. In our house, we've got this uh, last part of Joshua 15 up on the wall on a placard. And every morning when I do my quiet time, it slaps me in the forehead that I've got to make a choice that day. And some days I do really well. Some days I biff it. Uh, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve my selfish desires. And that happens. Some days I do really well. The point is, is that we get multiple opportunities throughout the day to serve the Lord. But we have to make that choice. We have to make that decision. Beyond that, we often get these Joshua moments in our lives, big muscle movement times in our lives where he wants us to make that choice because the, the events shape us, but our choices define us. So let me tell you a story that happened to me several years ago, about 21 years ago. I've shared it here before. We got a lot of new people. For those of you who, uh, who've heard it before, uh, just hang with me. It's an important story that talks about this thing called dabbling. 
I was uh, in the Army. I was Lieutenant Colonel in the Army at the time. I'd been promoted early. Things were going great. I was getting ready to get promoted again uh, to be a full Colonel. 9-11 had just happened. And at that time, things were going great in the military. I loved being a soldier. I was at the Defense Language Institute learning Korean, which was the toughest language I've ever learned and the easiest language I've ever forgotten. It was tough. And I'm sitting there. I'm going through it. I'm under a lot of stress. And I got really, really sick. And we didn't know what it was. It ended up that it, it was West Nile virus, but the doctors at the time, military doctors are great doctors, but sometimes, like all doctors, they misdiagnose. And so they didn't test me for West Nile virus. I wish they would have, because they went down a different road. And I had a neuromo neuro neuromuscular uh, disorder. We didn't know what it was, but it looked like ALS. It looked like Lou Gehrig's disease. Many of you have walked people through that. I've walked your friends through that. It's horrible. And so uh, they do this test on me, and the neurologist says, listen, uh, this is what it is, Kip. I think you've got ALS. You've got about two years to live. Get your, your affairs in order. I want to verify this in a test two weeks from now. Think about that. Have a nice day. And I was like, okay. Now, here's a problem. I was a dabbler. I wasn't a committed follower of Jesus Christ. About eight years before, I'd received Jesus as my Savior and Lord, but I'd pray to God when I'd need him. I'd throw a few bucks in the plate when it went by. Uh, if there was something big going on, I'd be on my knees, praise Jesus, if something great happened. Uh, but I was not a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I was a dabbler. I had two idols. One was my military career. I loved being a soldier. I was good at it. The other was combatives, martial arts. I loved fighting and training people in martial arts. That's what I loved doing, and I, I was pretty good at it. And God called me on it. And during this time, it was during this time that he grabbed me, and I had to make a Joshua choice. So I'm driving up Highway 1. How many of you guys have driven Highway 1 in Cali? It's beautiful, right? You're driving along. You've got the beautiful Pacific Ocean. I'm driving up to the neurologist's office. And as I'm driving up there, I just pull off on an overlook. And I say, listen, God, I'm not making a deal with you here. All I know is if this worst case thing happens, I'm going to need courage. No matter what, I choose today that I'm going to serve you. Please help me die. As an example to my wife, my kids, and my soldiers, that's all I want so I went to the neurologist. They you know, put all these pins in me for a couple hours, did a bunch of tests, and we left. And she goes, we have no idea what it is, but it's not what we thought. Here's some Motrin. Have a nice day. Thank you, military medicine. The point is, I was a dabbler. I wasn't committed. And it was that day that I had to make a choice. Well, you guys know I love to preach out of the Old Testament. I do. I love the Old Testament for many reasons. One of them is we get to see Jesus throughout the Old Testament and we get to connect the dots. Paul did that. All these different apostles did that because Jesus comes alive out of the Old Testament. I, I love for us to look at Jesus through the eyes of the Jewish man or woman rather than American lenses because oftentimes when we look at it as Americans and we Americanize the gospel, we miss what God's trying to tell us. Well, there's a great story in 2 Kings chapter 13 that talks about commitment. Turn there. We're going to come back to Joshua. We're going to hit on this briefly, and then, and then I'll wrap up. 2 Kings chapter 13. Here's what happens. We've got Israel coming together under King David. He unites the country. He leads for about 40 years. He dies. His son Solomon takes over. He leads for about 40 years. He dies, and his son Rehoboam takes over, and he just messes it up. Civil war happens. The country splits. Ten tribes to the north, north the northern kingdom. Two tribes to the south, the, the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom did pretty well. 
although they ended up messing it up too. But the northern kingdom, atrocious. Every one of those kings, if you look at Chronicles, at the books of Chronicles and Kings, he did evil in the sight of the, the Lord. Read Jack Wagon, and that's what he was. That's what they were. Every single king, they messed up. So there's a king named Jehoash. Syria, also known as Aram, is attacking the north, the northern kingdom, and they're going to take it over. So Jehoash steps in there, and he's like, we're going to get killed. Kipster International Version. He goes to Elisha, not Elijah. Elijah's already gone. Elisha was a protege of, Elisha was a protege of Elijah. He goes to Elisha, and that's important, because what that means is he's humbling himself as he's coming to the prophet. God's watching all this. And he's like, okay, I can work with Jehoash on this. Now remember, he, his whole life he'd done evil in the sight of the Lord. But he comes to Elisha, who's an old man who's getting ready to die. And he says, we need help. We're getting ready to be kerspankled. So Elisha says, okay, go get a bunch of arrows and go get a bow. So he does. He comes back. Don't miss this. Elisha places his hands on the hands of Jehoash. That meant that God was giving Jehoash favor. So he says, all right, get the bow, get the arrow, uh, draw the arrow, shoot it out the window to the east. He does. He says, this is awesome. This means that you're going to have victory over Syria. You're going to defeat them. You're going to strike them. He actually, the, the actual Hebrew is, you are going to strike them. Then it gets weird. 2 Kings 13, verse 18. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. Okay, so far, so good. Read the rest on your own. Here's what happens. Elisha gets furious. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, what do you mean, what am I doing? You only struck the ground three times. You know, had you struck it five or six times, you would completely defeat Syria. But now, three battles you're going to win, and that's it. Have a nice day. Then Elisha dies. And I'm going, what the heck? God, come on. The guy did what he was supposed to do, right? He was obedient, wasn't he? Yeah. But he was obedient without commitment. If you look at the life of Jehoash, he was a dabbler. He wasn't committed. I shared that story for this one reason. Today, maybe today God is speaking into your heart and saying, I want some commitment in your life. Maybe you're like I was back in 2001. You had that Joshua moment, and I had to make a choice that would define me as a Christ follower, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe today, today God's saying, you've been dabbling. I want you to commit. I think we in the Big C Church have done a huge disservice by saying things like, you just simply need to be with Jesus. That's how you're, you're going to grow, just by being there's some doing in any relationship. Any of you have spouses and you got a healthy marriage? There are some things you need to do. There's a reason why God gives us scripture. You, we learn the character of God. When we memorize scripture, it gets in our heads. But then here's the other thing. When you serve others less fortunate, it moves to your heart. You go in love and be a light. Maybe today's the day when God's saying, I want some commitment. I want you to commit to be a follower of mine do some things, up your game, strike, 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 and strike again. Maybe, just maybe today, you've been dabbling with the sin. You know, you do this sin, whatever the sin may be, there are tons of them out there, and you just wink at it and call it grace. Maybe God's saying, no, today's the day. I've given you my Holy Spirit. You've got my Holy Spirit. You can do this. I've defeated this dragon in your life, but I need you to strike and strike and strike and strike again. Work with me. 
Stop winking at it and calling it grace. Many of you have had some of the worst things happen to you that's imaginable. You were a victim. You did nothing wrong. But we live in this fallen world, and maybe it was a church that hurt you. Maybe it was a person, a loved one, who did something horrible to you. It's got this grip, this grip on you. You've got what my dear friend Patrick calls the grudge. The grudge where it's, it's bitterness that burns inside of you, and it makes your soul bitter. And God's saying, listen, my son, Jesus said, forgive, and you're going to be forgiven but I need you to release the grip and you do it by saying, I forgive. And you strike, I forgive. You strike, I forgive. I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. And guess what? Over time, all of a sudden there's healing in your heart. Doesn't mean you reconcile. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go to the person or the organization or the entity and say, I forgive you. If you can, that's great. No, but in your heart, you forgive. God simply says, I want commitment. You need to choose whom you will serve. Whom or what will you serve? Whom or what will you serve? Joshua made a choice. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So let me, let me wrap this up. Joshua lays all these things out. And the people say, Yahweh, we're going to serve Yahweh. He says, no way. And they say, Yahweh. And so he's, he knows. He rolls his eyes because he knows. He knows exactly what they're going to do. You see, he was on the mountain with Moses and they came down the mountain and, and, the, and the people were partying like it's 1999 BC. And as they're doing that, Kaffapalooza's going on. He's seen it happen. He knew their proclivity, their tendency to go the wrong way. But here's what would happen. Joshua dies. Old man dies. The elders of Israel take over. Things go pretty well. And then they die off. And then guess what? The people do evil in the sight of the Lord. The book of Judges follows Joshua. If you want like a TVMA or uh, rated R, uh, uh, like real life TV, read Judges because it's disturbing. They make those choices that will define them. Remember two choices, that, uh, events that, that, that shape the Israelites, the Exodus, God's grace, God's judgment through, through the exile. Then they die. Let me land this plane. We kicked off our sermon with God's command to Joshua, be strong and courageous. God would take this man and do incredible things. And not only does this show a, what, what can happen if you're a good godly person, but it can also show you the difficulties in life when you go your own way, and it also points to Jesus. But go back to those four acts. Remember God's grace, God's leadership, God's victory, God's provision. If you go to Joshua chapter one, do it on your own, but Joshua chapter one, you're going to see the calling of Joshua and those four things playing out. God's grace is in verse, uh, verse two. Therefore arise, cross the Jordan, you and all these people. He's called in. God's victory, verse seven. You will have success wherever you go. God's leadership, verse five. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. God's provision, verse three. No man will ever be able to stand before you. And then verse nine, be strong and be courageous. You see, the events in life shaped Joshua. It shaped how he processed information. There were some good and some bad, things that he brought on himself, but things that happened to him. But he always chose, chose God in the end. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the beautiful thing about this is it points to Jesus. Go back to week one of our series. 
Pastor Bob pulled up the two names, just Joshua and Jesus. Both of them in Hebrew are Yeshua, same name. That's a great thing. But if you go to Deuteronomy 18, verse 18, what you see is that you see Moses saying, there's going to come a prophet after me. And he's going to be a powerful prophet. And he's going to lead you. Two things about that prophet. First of all, it's Joshua, prophet number one, and that would come true. The second prophet, though, is the Messiah. To this day, the Israelites hang their hats on that verse. We know that Messiah as Jesus. Both Joshua and Jesus would show us, you can't have a crown without a cross. Joshua would lead the Jewish people into the promised land. Jesus, by his death, his burial, his resurrection, as he pours out his Holy Spirit, he leads us to not only the eternal promised land, but to this amazing life he's given us, this life more abundant, for us to go in love and be a light and serve him, to put away those idols and to serve. But you've got to make a choice. Whom or what will you serve? It's by grace we've been saved through faith. Jesus makes it very simple. In Romans 10, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says that if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But guys, when that's done, it's not just, okay, do whatever I want to do. It's striking the ground and striking it and striking it and striking it some more and being a committed follower from Jesus Christ. And it's a ride. It's amazing and it's difficult. Make that choice today. Don't let there be another minute that goes by without you saying, Jesus, I just receive you. And then let us help you walk with Jesus. The events in life will shape you, but that one choice, that one choice will define you.